0: Hey everybody, this is Sophie and welcome to a bonus series of the Big Boo cast that Melanie and I are calling 5 Questions. In this bonus series, we are talking to some of our writer friends and to friends who are connected in some way to our writing lives. These are conversations that we've wanted to have for years, but have just had a hard time fitting into our regular episodes. So after last week's conversation with Erin Moon, this week we're talking to our friend Laura Tremaine. Laura grew up in Oklahoma. She currently lives in Los Angeles with her husband and her kids. And after a lot of years at blogging at Hollywood Housewife, Laura started to podcast several years ago. Her current podcast is called 10 Things to Tell You. It's fantastic. And she just published her first book, which is called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. So we wanted to talk to Laura about her longtime dream of becoming a published author and how it has recently become a reality. And we're so excited to talk to her about her creative process and everything she's learned along the way. So we hope y'all enjoy this week's installment of the Big Bootcast Five Questions with Laura Tremaine. everybody. This is Sophie. This is Big Mama. Hey, it's Melanie. It's Big Mama. Hey, I'm Laura Tremaine. Yay. We're so happy, Laura Tremaine, that you're with us.
1: This is so fun to chat with you. I've listened to you for years and years and years. So thank you for asking me to come Talk about writing and publishing.
2: Well, and I feel like you're one of those online people that, like, you're a friend that I haven't met in person yet. You know what I mean? Like, there's somebody that you've been following for so long where I'm like, how have we not met in person? Because it feels like we should have. Same, but I have met Sophie a few times, but most notably,
1: (laughs) we had the best time as the very first ever guests Mm.
0: on. The podcast's first live event. It was so That's fun. Right. It was so fun. It, and and I don't know if you felt this way, Laura, but what I remember about that night, I was so nervous because and I was really mostly nervous for Knox and Jamie because they had never done that before. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> this feels <laughs> risky. And I remember the the main memory I have of that night is is watching Jamie and thinking oh my gosh she was made for this like she was made for this kind of thing
1: and Mm -hmm. it
0: was so fun it was so
1: easy well my main memory of that night was that there was really no agenda we just went up on stage (laughs) and hoped for the best (laughs) <laughs> sort of like this
0: podcast, Laura, actually, yes. like, that's sort of how, how we roll, but that's true. They were just like, it'll be fine. And then we'll ask you this and it'll be fine. Oh my gosh. And then we'll ask you this. And it was so, so fun. All right. So you have recently published a book called share your stuff. I'll go first. It really is such a brilliant guide to deepening relationships. And so we're going to ask you some questions just about your life and your writing and publishing and all that kind of stuff. Here's the first question. And this is about your life because you grew up in Oklahoma. You moved from Oklahoma to Los Angeles when you were 22, which had to have been just a tiny bit of culture shock. I don't know, maybe just a little (laughs) bit of a, of a cultural whiplash, but what has occurred to both of us is that one must've taken so much bravery to make that leap. So we are curious to know what was the impetus that made you make that move so many years ago? What was the thing that kind of propelled you in that direction? Well, there were a few
1: things, but probably the main one was just, I had been in Oklahoma my whole life. I Mm -hmm. went to college at university of Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and I kind of ended up at college at OU because I had a lot of family ties there and I got a scholarship there, but I had wanted to go out of state originally. So then I had spent those four college years, like sort of itching, you know, Mm -hmm. to just make a big move. And then I made a, um, I mean, I studied abroad before my senior year of college and I just studied abroad in England. So it wasn't like, you know, the a huge cultural shift, but it was enough. It was my first time out of the country and it was enough to make me realize like, Oh, I want to have a real adventure. Mm. I want to do something real crazy for my twenties. Now in my mind, I thought I was going to go kind of do something real crazy. And then eventually I would come back to Oklahoma and marry a cute boy and have a million babies and do that it's sort of what I thought was the bigger picture of my life. That's not how it worked out. But I mean, it's just as simple as that. I just was 22 years old and had really hadn't done anything else and just wanted to chase some kind of adventure. And when you grow up in the very middle of the country, Oklahoma is just so landlocked right, yeah. in the middle of the country. The the two extremes are New York and LA. You know, mm-hmm. those are the two coasts, uh-huh. the two crazy <laughs> cities. <laughs> and New York was absolutely terrifying. Like I couldn't, I don't even know to this day how you get groceries in New York. It's so scary to me. Yes. And LA is, um, you know, you still drive a car. You, I mean, it just felt a little bit more familiar. Plus I liked the Hollywood aspect and I liked the weather. Who doesn't?
0: Oh. It's so horrible. I moved out here
1: without, I'd never, uh, i had never been here when I moved here. I'd never even visited
2: Yeah, it feels like you're like us. I mean, you started like way back in the days of writing back when there used to be blogs that people (laughs) wrote and read and all that stuff. And so you started your blog, Hollywood Housewife in 2010. Um, but one of the things you said in your book that so resonated with me is you said, when I started Hollywood House, Housewife, I ate for the type of girlfriends I'd known in Oklahoma. I wanted to be myself. I didn't want to be laughed at for the way I voted or what I thought about God. Um, I knew how to be a good friend, but the girlfriend code was different. So I took to the internet. And I thought that's so interesting because I think so many of us back in those days began blogging kind of out of a sense of loneliness mm-hmm. um, and Trying to be mom. I mean, I think that's why you had the mommy blog is we're all trying to figure out how to be moms. And that's new. And we wanted to make connections that we were lacking in our real life. So, but how have you seen like social media? Because as we know, it has changed. And how has it shaped kind of your personal creative space over the years and and how you've kind of evolved from just a blog?
1: Gosh, it has meant everything to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud to be part of that mommy blogging community that I truly feel like shifted the internet. Like, I really yeah. feel like women changed the internet when they got a hold of blogs.
0: You know, I totally and agree.
1: I mean, I'm really proud to be a part of it. I know that people roll their eyes at it then and now. And I just, We, I mean, we could do a whole episode on just like what it meant for women and moms and creativity and writers who never Uh would have had their stuff published or had their words into the world if there hadn't been this medium. It's just, it means so much to me. And I just feel like it means so much to women, especially. So I started the mommy blog because like I said, that's what was popular, but I didn't. Ever really like writing about parenting? Okay. Yeah. I don't find parenting to be that interesting <laughs> to write about. <laughs> and, you know, I love my kids, but yeah. I was super lonely and I did not have any friends in Los Angeles with babies. Mm-hmm. I had left TV and film production. I'd worked in TV and film for years out here and then I'd gotten married and the Only friends that I had made out here were also people working on film and TV. They were like show friends, work friends. Mm -hmm, They weren't uh really the kind of girlfriends that I knew at home that was sort of an all encompassing girlfriendship where you talk about everything and try to spend a lot of time together and all of that. I did not have that. And then when I had a baby, I certainly didn't have that. But I was a little bit older than my Oklahoma friends who had started having babies years before. So I, you know, I was 30 when I had my daughter and a lot of my other friends had started earlier or hadn't started yet. So I just was like in the no man's land. And I had been reading mommy blogs a little bit to prep to have a baby. And it just made me feel like, oh my gosh, I could be a writer. I mean, I had moved to Los Angeles. I guess I left this part out, but I really was chasing the dream of being a writer. Mm. And I had just yeah. gotten sidetracked with uh working and paying my rent and <laughs> had never really gotten to, it's really hard to be a writer in Hollywood. I mean, it's hard to be a writer anywhere, but I yeah. had just, I'd never had entered that side of Hollywood and creativity. I'd always stayed on a production side. So now suddenly anybody could have a blog. It was basically free. And that was colliding at the same time as I was becoming a mom. So all of that sort of came together. But then, you know, as y'all know, after a few years, blogging really changed. It became yeah. very uh-huh. much a business. And while I applaud that, because I also think that that just shows women's, you know, innovativeness yeah. and, and how that watching that hustle go down uh-huh. in real time uh-huh. was like fascinating. Fascinating. But there just wasn't, I felt left behind in a lot of like in that direction of blogging. Mm -hmm. And social media came up. And you know, at first I was resistant to some of the social media stuff. It felt like, you know, drive-by blogging. Like it felt like the the cheaper version of blogging, if you will. You know what I mean? Like the lazy blogging. Now I'm all I'm all on board with lazy blogging of social Mm -hmm. media. But That's how I felt in the beginning. And then my friend, um, Meg Teets, she started the show sort of awesome. She was the only person I knew who was doing an independent podcast. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to be a a co-host and it was a rotating co-host spot. So it was only once a month. So it was like a low commitment. Yeah. And I started podcasting. And I was still blogging at this time officially. And I immediately, when I started the podcast, I don't know if this is how y'all felt, but I was like, okay, no, this is it. Like using (laughs) my actual voice was so much easier than writing.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, for sure. But you still had the dream, I'm guessing deep down of writing a book one day, even though the podcast thing clicked, there was the, the, the writing dream was still in your head and your heart a little bit.
1: Well, yeah. And you know what else was happening at the same time? And I don't talk about this a ton, but so I had been blogging for a while. Every blogger I knew had a book deal, (laughs) everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I just, in all of my hubris thought, well, I mean, I can have a book deal too. I mean, I have the same, roughly the same blog audience size that they do. Mm -hmm. I can put together a decent sentence. Like I just felt, um, not entitled to it, but like, it was a natural thing. Like everyone else is doing it. Why couldn't I? So I put together a, this is around the same time. This is dovetailing with when I had also started the podcasting with Meg. I put together a book proposal that was, when I say it was rejected, I mean, like, <laughs> Okay. I mean, it was I, the, no, no window cracked. Ahead. I mean, it was uh-huh. Yeah. like, I couldn't get I couldn't even get agents to look at it, let alone publishers. I I hired um an editor to help me make it better after the first sort of few rejections. That was a no-go. I mean, even the editor I hired was like, "This isn't good." <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, the whole thing was the was the most humbling experience because I really did feel like everybody I know has achieved this, but me, it felt like the next natural Mm. thing of successful blogger is then book deal blogger, everybody, Mm -hmm. because I felt wounded. I felt a little bit lost, like, you know, now what? And then I spun off of sort of awesome and started a new podcast that was series. It wasn't like weekly. It was just a topical series called smartest person in the room and doing that show. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. But Mm -hmm. it was all the topics were serious, mostly. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of scratched my itch of kind of getting away from Hollywood Housewife type content and getting to really talk about some of these things I really wanted to talk about. Religion, race, um, internet culture, um, mind-body connection stuff. And like some of these things I really wanted to talk about that I got to talk about on that show. And then that sort of came to a natural close also. And so then I kind of, I don't even know if this is answering your question. This is me. No, just this is great. No, I, know.
0: I love it. This is, I do too, because there's an evolution here. It has changed and evolved over time organically. It's not a, it's not like you had some big strategy back in 2010 that you have. No, out I had no good strategy,
1: right. nor did I have a, a, a thought of what pivoting means. I mean, like mm-hmm. now when I look back, I can sort of see the evolution, like you're saying, but at the time it felt like I was trying a lot of things that weren't Doing that well, mm. like smartest person in the room, was well received by its audience, but like it didn't get huge download numbers. I never monetized it, so I spent a ton of time on something for absolutely free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which, we are from you know, I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. I just, <laughs> I just felt like like none of this is exactly working, but it's not exactly failing either, right? You yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know. Like I can tell that I'm. Developing a skill set, and I can tell that I have some natural ability here, and I really love it, but like it's not really hitting either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, I don't, mm-hmm. what do you do when you're just in that weird middle place? And so I finally did decide to get like a smidge more strategic or just really do what I ultimately always wanted to do, which was write a book. And so I started 10 Things to Tell You, the podcast. Right. Knowing that I was going to shop that as a book. And so when I started it in January, late January of 2019, and then I, I put together a book proposal and I shopped it in the summer of 2019. So just a few months later. So that was the first time that I like had a plan.
0: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And worked off a plan, but it took, you know, it took a good, however long that was eight years of, of working for free,
2: putting stuff out for free. Yes. Hey, it's me. Today's show is sponsored exclusively by our favorite British streaming service, Acorn TV. And we invite all of y'all to support Acorn TV because their support allows the Big Boo cast to keep our show free for all of you. Here is why we love them. Acorn TV is a commercial-free streaming service that's rooted in British television, which in my opinion is the very best kind of television. It has a rich catalog of award-winning series across genres including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. There is really something for everyone. From production to performances, the series you'll find on Acorn TV are exceptional because they're so clever and they're visually stunning, and they feature renowned actors that you've seen before like David Tennant and Thandie Newton, and Acorn TV has exclusive premieres and originals you won't see anywhere else. One of the new shows I've just started is called 800 Words. It's a sweet, refreshing family drama that follows recent widower George Turner and his decision to start afresh in the New Zealand coastal town of Weld. You can imagine that it's really ugly. Um, George is a recently widowed father who quits his job as a popular 800 word columnist for a top selling Sydney newspaper. Then, over the internet, he buys a house on impulse in a remote New Zealand seaside town the aforementioned ugly town that I mentioned. I'm totally kidding. And then he has to break the news to his two teenage kids who just lost their mom, because that is their mom because they're Australian, and now face an even more uncertain future. These Aussie invaders quickly become the center of attention in a small town populated by weird and wonderful locals that you will love, Um, and they ensure basically that the dream of a fresh start does not go to plan. It was a reminder to me as I started watching that fresh starts bring so many unexpected twists and a lot of unforeseen joy. I know you'll love it. You get thousands of hours of new refreshing content like this on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services because it's just $5.99 a month. I get it through my beloved Roku stick, but you can also get it through Amazon Prime and so many other ways so that you too can watch ACORN TV. From all of us at the Big Boo cast, thanks to ACORN TV for sponsoring today's show. It's sponsors like ACORN TV that make what we do possible. Try ACORN TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code BIGBOO. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code BIGBOO to get your first 30 days free. You've been in quarantine essentially
0: for a year. California has mm-hmm. been pretty, pretty locked down for a year and you have a super mm-hmm. busy life. It has a lot of moving parts. So as you edited that book in such a weird time, how did you how did you find sort of the the mental and emotional space to write? Like what was what was your process in that? Because I think everybody who is does creative work had a real kind of like, whoa, what's this going to look like in this context moment when suddenly you're taken out of a lot of your, your life and you're still trying to produce content. So that was terrible. It was literally (laughs) so terrible. Yeah. yeah. I
1: think I got my edits back, I think on March 6th of 2020. And then, you know, on March 12th, we were told by our school that, you know, no more school and my kids have now been home for a full year. We have not wow. had school. Wow. wow, My children are nine and 11. Then of course mm-hmm. they were 10 and eight mm-hmm. and in second grade and fourth grade at the time. And they were suddenly home all day, every day. And my husband, was had just started making a movie, shooting a movie, he was also shut down. And so my husband was home, which was which was good because we the way that Los Angeles locked down, which was so hardcore in comparison to the rest of the country, we couldn't really have anyone in our home to help. You know, I couldn't have had sure yeah a nanny or a babysitter or anybody to help me out. So it was a good thing that my husband was also home. But also, you know, everybody was home. Yes. (laughs) Uh
0: Yes, exactly right. You know,
1: our restaurants closed down, everything so like we had to make every meal here. We, hmm. um, it was a lot, and also I had never been edited before.
2: Oh, oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> ever in my <laughs> life, you know. And everyone had prepared me every writer friend I have, which is established was many, everyone had prepared me for how hard the editing process was, but I completely prepared in the wrong way, so I prepared to have my feelings hurt. Like okay. I prepared, mm-hmm. um, like I tried to armor up emotionally, I guess, for the editing process. And actually that's not what was hard about editing for me. Like I can be pretty reasonable. If mm-hmm. someone says to me, this sentence doesn't make any sense. I and mean, most of the time I can be like, no, oh, you're right. Actually doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't what was hard. What was hard about editing was, just that every word of it, <laughs> like yeah.
0: every yes. Use. Yes. It's permanent. It's there's so th- the thing about it being permanent and that you can't get your hands back on it. Like there's something about that I think that is especially challenging. That it, and I second guess myself a lot when I edit too. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's its own thing.
1: And I just think my sentences and the way I speak and everything, they just have certain grooves. I've just worn the grooves in them. And so yep. when someone says, this is a good point, but you have to start over and make it differently. Yeah, I'm like, I don't. That's the point. I don't know how to make the <laughs> yeah. point differently. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That think, is the point. Yeah, <laughs> you know.
2: I think that to me was the hardest thing. Where I was like, well, no, this is how I talk, and I I write like I talk, and so don't tell me I'm saying the sentence wrong because this is how I would say it. Like mm-hmm. this is. And, but but you're still wanting to be like, my biggest fear was, I was like, I don't want them to be putting notes, like not coachable, not, (laughs) you know, won't take criticism, whatever. So it's so hard between like, I'm not, I want you to make me better, but I also don't want you to make me not me, you know, like it's still got to sound like me.
1: Yes. And I also thought, and I loved my editor. We ended up having a very amazing relationship, but after a little bit of a rocky start, because she was a very seasoned editor and I had never been edited. And I thought that she was going to edit me like a, you know, high school English teacher does where they like Mm -hmm. circle the word and say, you know, choose another word or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought it was going to be. Well, actually she just, she just chose another word for me Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. first. And so I was like, oh no, 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 no. No, no choosing any words. You need to tell me if I need to choose a new word. And so, but I didn't have the gumption to say that at the very beginning because I I was new, you know, but eventually we did work it out where I was like, I promise you, I will choose another word. Like, I'm not going to ignore your edit, but I would like to do that work. And so we ended up having, I mean, she made my book. 40 times stronger, so much better. Yeah. But it did, you know, the first time you're working with an editor, you do have to sort of find a rhythm or find a a language together. And uh-huh. so that was really hard to be doing that type of mental back and forth in the, at the very beginning of the pandemic, when you're like, well, is the world over? Does sure. any of this yes. matter?
2: Yes. Um, is, is this book even going to come out at this point? Yes. yes. Same. Uh-huh. Because
1: I had friends who their books were getting pushed or mm-hmm. they were coming out and not, you know, going to sell as well because they couldn't promote it, like all this. So it was very mentally taxing because I, you know, I wanted the book to be, uh, you know, as best as it could be, but Mm -hmm. I was, it was.
2: Well, and I think that, so it's like a trust, you have to build trust there. It's like any relationship where you're like, I'm trusting you with like, ultimately my baby and I, we've got to build trust. I need to know that you're going to do right by it and that I'm going to listen. And so I think that's kind of leads into actually our next question, which is now that you're a published author, like how has that experience been different than what you imagined it would be? Um, And where has it been like what you thought or hoped it would be? Well, I'm only like six weeks out. So I, you know, I feel like in some
1: ways we could have a whole different conversation this time next year or whatever. But I do feel like, and I probably am not supposed to say this. I'm probably supposed to say something a lot more spiritual than this, but I do (laughs) feel like there is a credibility to having this book that you can Mm -hmm. hold in your hand that has my name on it. Like, I feel like all this time I had been chasing credibility a little bit. And that's what I was saying earlier. And I just, I worked for so long for free. I gave out everything for free. I had a lot of issues with, um, you know, monetizing, charging people, or, mm-hmm. or putting a, a charge on my own worth. Um, I had a lot of issues around that. And yeah. so it has been really helpful to me to have a tangible product, like to say, you can pay $16.99 and have my book. Mm-hmm. That is, to me, like an easier thing to say than like um, charging to listen to me talk or like I, any of the other ways that you can yeah. Monetize. It's like a credibility thing to me to say, like, look, someone believed I was worth publishing. Look, X amount of people bought my book. So, it, you know, it's been like not a worth issue on a soul level. Right. But right. A, mm-hmm. a little bit of a worth issue in a in a professional level, mm-hmm. you know, of, yeah. of like, OK, like I I published a book. I think that there is a credibility there that I lacked for myself before. And Now I feel like I have, and that actually matters to me. And if I could say that I was above all that, I would, but I, (laughs) yes, I get it. I totally get it.
0: I think for our last question, our fifth question, I want to ask you something that you actually ask in your book. And I have to tell you this particular part of your book made me so deeply Mm -hmm. teary-eyed because the question I'm going to ask you is um, where are your magical moments, Laura Tremaine? And you tell one particular story in your book about somebody when you were at a a conference or I can't remember if it's a conference or a film festival with your husband. And somebody said that she saw an angel on each of your shoulders, a boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. And like that, like I still right now, I have chill bumps thinking about that. So as you sit right here, right now in, in March of 2021, where are your magical moments? Well, I'm gonna say something real weird, kind of. I'm kind of oh, I'm
2: so happy. I'm so we love excited. weird. We we love weird.
1: I would not have said this a year ago. <laughs> okay, but I have just started to notice, and I don't know if it's because we've been in isolation for a year, and you know, so like a lot of the busyness of our life has fallen away, or we're grasping on to anything, maybe a combination of both, but. Weird things have happened with me lately in the last month or so with animals. Okay. And I think that sometimes if we're just paying attention to signs that we're getting from God or the universe or however we want to think about it, and that they come, um, like they'll come a few different ways. So like if it's with animals, you might have two different animal messages or like with the stars or with Something a friend says, and then the other friend will say it later. You know what I mean? Like they right. come, I feel like we get these messages a few different times, but they come kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, I'll tell you this really weird story. I have not told this anywhere yet. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm excited.
1: I had a socially distant cocktail hour with some girlfriends and we were sitting out, we were all sitting outside. I was in a friend's backyard and um, the weirdest thing happened, <laughs> a praying mantis landed on my shoulder. Okay. And I mean, this was a big old mantis. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're kind of creepy looking. And they're creepy. And then it jumped down to my knee and I have a picture of it. I have my legs crossed. It jumped down to my knee and it was just looking at me and it was huge and it would not leave. It would not leave. The praying mantis stayed on my knee for minutes and everyone was joking. We all took pictures of it, whatever. I have... I mean, a praying mantis is not a normal thing I see in my regular life ever. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if they're common to LA. I don't know. They're not normal.
2: Okay. Yeah. So
1: it was a weird, that's weird. Okay. Right. Fine. Mm -hmm. So I come home kind of late from that, from that dinner. I didn't tell Jeff about the praying mantis. I didn't even clock it as any kind of thing to pay attention to other than it's just weird. Mm -hmm. I go the next morning so 12 hours later, I'm, I live in a completely different part of the city than these friends I had drinks with. I, <laughs> I take my clothes off to get into the shower and I look at, as I open my shower door, you will not believe it. There is an enormous praying mantis Stop it. on oh. the shower door. Wow. And wow. I am like, what does it all mean? I mean, yes. you know, I'm like, yes. I've never seen a praying mantis in my life in Los Angeles. I, we're not in the woods. I'm in a different part of the city. It's now it's in my bathroom. Did it follow me like, yes. I mean, up? <laughs> Did it get in it my purse? Uh-huh. Did it travel with me? Uh huh. I just thought, you know, that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of coincidence um, that you just have to be like, I am just going to pay attention to this. Yes. And i just sat in stillness about it later, even though it was like kind of silly. And I was like, is it the praying part I need to pay attention to? I Googled like what is praying, what a praying mantis means spiritually. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that came up, it said was to like, listen to your instinct is kind of what a praying mantis means. I don't, you know, I don't know how much stock we want to put into any of those things, but Mm -hmm. I am trying to pay attention To things like that and not so easily dismiss when we're in the busy non-COVID life, there's so much going on, there's so much happening to not so easily dismiss when things happen in twos and threes or when things happen that are like really random like that, Yeah. instead of just being like, you know, to just take a moment and and, and sit on it, pray on it, meditate on it, journal on it, you know, tell a friend, whatever your thing is to be like, listen, Mm Is this a, is this something that's knocking on my door to pay attention to? Um, and last night, I'm just not going to bore y'all with so many animal stories, but then last yeah. night I'd had a bad day yesterday and I just, I did, I did a fend for yourself dinner. Right. And we're oh, yeah. all,
0: that's what we call a all, make We call it a make do dinner in our house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We call it scrounge
1: dinner, scrounge, <laughs> scrounge, whatever you want. And, but we were all in the kitchen
2: and the biggest raccoon you've ever seen stop in life. Melanie <laughs> no listen you know I have a whole <laughs> raccoon problem so this I can't wait to hear what you enormous raccoon came
1: to our window and looked right at us it did not run away my husband ended up tapping the glass so we could get a picture and it just stared right at us and this thing was bigger than my dog I mean it was oh, gosh oh, I can't <laughs> and it looked in on us and I was like you know, God, are you speaking to me through the microphone? <laughs> or
2: are you
0: not?
1: I'm oh, not my sure.
2: word. You know what I love about your answer, though, is it is the magical moments, like because it is something small. I do think COVID, if there's been a gift in it, it's made us all slow down and find magic in things that before we would not have sl- slowed down enough to seem, you know, and I mm-hmm. love that.
0: Yeah. Well, we cannot thank you enough, Laura, for being with us today and we can't thank you enough for this beautiful book that you've written and you have really shared your soul in this book in such a way, so transparently and vulnerably and um and and you do. Your voice in this book, I was thinking about it this morning. Your voice is so clear um as a writer and you have a way of being really direct but also poetic and it's just a joy to read. So we're super kind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's true. So yeah, um, we're super grateful that you took time to be with us and, um, we'll tell everybody at the end of this where they can find you and your book and all the things.
1: I appreciate you so much, ladies. I really do. All right. Thanks so much, Laura.
2: Bye everybody. Bye everybody. Bye. Hey y'all, it's me. This episode of The Big Boo Cast has been brought to you by Acorn TV. There's always something new and something unique and something that I never would have found otherwise. Acorn TV is a streaming service that's rooted in British television. It has such a rich catalog of exclusive award-winning series across genres, including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. So there really is something for everyone. If Perry and I can find shows that we both like to watch, then I promise you can too. Plus, you get thousands of hours of new, refreshing content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services because it's just $5.99 a month. Escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code BIGBOO. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code BIGBOO to get your first 30 days for free.
0: Alrighty, everybody, that's it for our second bonus episode in our five question series. We are so grateful to Laura for taking time to be with us today. You can find her book, share your stuff. I'll go first anywhere books are sold, and we'll have a link for that in the show notes. You can find her online at lauratremain.com. She's on Twitter at Laura Tremaine, and then on Instagram at Laura dot So don't forget the dot on Instagram. We will not be back this week with a regular episode. We're taking a little time off for my spring break week. But we'll be back next week with a new bonus episode with our dear friend, Reetha Nicole, who also happens to coach us a little bit in life and writing and business. And we'll have another new regular episode next week as well. Y'all have a great rest of your week.